John chapter 7, and we'll begin reading in verse 1. It says, After these things Jesus walked in Galilee, for he would not walk in Jewry, because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. His brethren therefore said unto him, Depart hence, and go into Judea, that thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest. His brothers are giving him advice. Isn't that interesting? Um, for there is no man that doeth anything in secret, and he himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou do these things, show thyself to the world. And here's why they're giving this advice. It says, for neither did his brethren believe in him. Then Jesus said unto them, my time is not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but me it hateth, because I testify of it, that the works thereof are evil. Go ye up unto this feast, I go not up yet unto this feast, for my time is not yet full come. When he had said these words unto them, he abode still in Galilee. And uh, I just want to give you, in some ways, a summary of the message that I've preached a couple times this summer that I think it applies to young people, but it also applies to the not-so-young people. And uh, I think it's something that we need to hear. The idea is that familiarity does not equal faith. And that we can be very familiar with Jesus, but it doesn't mean we have faith in Jesus. And I want to present that to you tonight and uh, try to give you this in a shortened edition this evening. Let's pray and ask God to help us. Lord, I'm asking for your help. Please bless uh, the reading of your word and fill us with uh, just a, a desire to follow it in every, whatever way. God, I'm thankful for uh, the way that you seem to be working in our hearts and our lives, and I can't wait to see what you do next. And I want to be a part of it, but I certainly don't want to be a reason that you can't do what you want to do. Help us each to decide tonight that we don't want to be familiar, we want faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, sometimes it's easy to take for granted the things you're most familiar with, isn't it? I don't know about you, but maybe you've gotten, you've received something or you've, you put something down um, on your desk or on your, your bedside table and you think, oh, I'll deal with this at some point. Um, and then you get so used to it being there that a couple months later you're like, no, where is that? And you realize you've been looking at it every day for like two months. Anybody ever do that where you set something down? I, I do that. And I'm like, I'll deal with this later. And then I just, it, it becomes so used to it, I don't notice it anymore. Uh, I think about this building, and it's a beautiful building. I'm so thankful for it. Um, at first, I can't imagine the first Sunday uh, in this building coming from the old building. I wasn't able to be a part of it, but I, I just imagine it was incredible. I mean, the excitement and, and everything. Um, but, but now we're, we've been in here for a while, and maybe there are times that we walk into this building. You might walk into this building, and you're not really thinking, this is a great building anymore, because you're used to it. I'm not saying that you, you're not appreciative of it, but there are times where you don't think about it anymore, because you're used to it. Uh, if you have a stable job, it's, it's easy to take for granted after you've been there for a while, and and uh, unless you lose that job, then you no longer take it for granted. I think about our church family. It's possible even to take people for granted. It's possible to be around people that you appreciate, but you've seen them so much that you're used to them, and you're not really thinking or, or grateful necessarily. You're not ungrateful, but you're just not really thinking 
about their presence in your life anymore. And often we don't think about how thankful we are for, for people until they're no longer around. Uh, I think about uh, the people that are closest to us. Did you know it's possible to take people close to you for granted? I think all of us know that. Uh, believe it or not, this actually happened to Jesus Christ. Mark chapter 6 tells us that he had at least four brothers. It names them. James and Jude were two of them, which have become familiar later. But it says that he also had sisters. So it lists four of his brothers and two of his sisters um, because plural, sisters. So he had at least six siblings. Can you imagine having Jesus as your brother? How many of you have an older sibling and you thought, man, I will never live up to their expe the expectation they have set. My parents think they're perfect and I will never be perfect. Or maybe you have a younger sibling who can do no wrong. You know, you used to get in trouble for things. And now your parents celebrate your younger sibling for the things that they're doing. You know, so I have, I'm, I have both. I have an older sister who thinks she's perfect. And a younger brother who could do no wrong. I mean, middle children, we are persecuted, are we not? Middle children, yes. You know, so now then, though, imagine having a brother that is perfect. Jesus Christ was perfect. He had never sinned. He never disobeyed. Now he's doing miracles. I mean, come on. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, he literally was the perfect son. And his siblings clearly knew something was different. They observed him growing up. They'd seen him for almost 33 years at this point. Yet they still have not placed their faith in him as Savior. Well, you talk about being so familiar and taking something for granted so much. They, they know who he is. They've seen him live a perfect life, yet they still will not place their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. Their familiarity with Jesus was a hindrance to their faith. And there, there are three problems, and, and again, I'm, this is kind of a shortened version, but there are three problems sometimes when we're too familiar with something, and especially when we become too familiar with Jesus Christ. And you say, how can you become too familiar with Christ? Aren't we supposed to be familiar with Jesus? Well, I hope you understand my meaning tonight. What I mean is that you become so familiar that you take him for granted. Yeah. You're used to the thought. I mean, did, does it stir you to tears when you think about him dying on the cross for you? I mean, it should every time, but it doesn't because we're used to it. And I want to give you then dangers or the hindrances that come with familiarity. And what we see his siblings do is first you can get too comfortable with Jesus. Look, what they, look at verse 3. His brethren therefore said unto him, depart hence and go unto Judea that thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest. So here are his brothers. This is Jesus talking. His brothers are talking to him. His brothers had no problem Telling him what to do. I mean, they are giving the creator of heaven and earth advice. They say, you know what you need to do? You've lost some followers and people have walked away and, and it's time for you to take a step up. You need to go to Jerusalem at the time of the feast so that people can see you and you have a little bit of exposure. You need to go where people are and, and let them see you do something really fantastic. His brothers are literally giving him advice. It's like they're saying, in case you didn't know how life works, here, here's how it ought to go. And this is the creator of the universe. And they're saying, we have better plans. We know more about life than you. 
Can you imagine being that comfortable with Jesus? You start telling him what to do. I mean, I look around the room and I see, I mean, I just saw Dana Mauer out there um, at the Welcome Center. And I, I don't tell Dana Mauer how to run an auto parts business. I, I, I don't tell Phil Everett how to replace roofs. I don't tell Jacob Madden how to use big words. <laughs> I just don't. Because that's not what I do. I mean, I used a big word this morning. It's pretty impressive. But, you know, that's one, one a day. It's my quota. You know, one problem with familiarity is you can get a little too comfortable and start telling God what you will or won't do. You start telling him, you know, this is not my plan and I, I have a better idea. Now you come to him with negotiations on the table. See, one problem with familiarity is that you start to assume the position of God in your life. And I hate to tell you this, but God is God and you are not. Christ is your creator. He is your redeemer, which means that he bought you and he owns the rights to your life. And if he paid for your life, he owns you. We don't call the shots of our own lives. I mean, who do his brothers think they are? Familiarity can cause us to forget that Christ is our master. His timing is better than ours, ours so stop saying now. His plans are superior to ours, so stop saying this his ways are higher than ours. So stop saying no. Stop telling him what to do. Listen, Jesus isn't your buddy. He is your master. He is the God of heaven. He sits on the throne. And sometimes we hold on to our plans. We hold on to our desires, our dreams. And we think that our plans are better than God's. And we get a little too comfortable with Jesus. And we need to be careful that our familiarity with him makes us a little bit too comfortable. Here's another hindrance um, when familiarity becomes a hindrance. Number two, you get too curious about the world. You get too curious about the world. Look at verse four, it says, for there is no man, they say, that doeth anything in secret, and he himself seeketh to be known openly. Look what they say, if thou do these things, show thyself to the world. See, Jesus had lost many of his disciples uh, he had been teaching hard truths. If you know anything about John 6, you know that he was teaching some very difficult things. And literally thousands of his so-called followers had walked away. And so the, his brothers are, maybe they're talking one day and they're thinking, you know, Jesus isn't as popular as he used to be. All of these people are leaving. But you know, and they're looking on the calendar and they're saying the Feast of Tabernacles is coming up. See, and there were three feasts that every, every man in Jerusalem was supposed to go to. Um, there's the, the Feast of Pentecost, um, and that is, that is more of a sober. No, uh, there's the, the, the Feast of the Passover, there's the Feast of Pentecost, and then there's the Feast of Tabernacles. And, and uh, the Passover, obviously, is sober. Pentecost, uh, you know, is kind of in the middle. But the Feast of Tabernacles was an exciting, joyful occasion. And there was all kinds of people going to be there. They were all going to go to Jerusalem. They were going to be excited. It was a big event. It was a time of celebration. It was a time of joy. You know, Jesus' brothers then say, hey, here's your chance to regain some of your followers. You haven't been quite as popular. You haven't been trending on Instagram like you were. And it's time, if you want to get popular again, you need to go down to Jerusalem where everyone's going to be. Go do something big. Go prove it. But you know what's interesting is they were more interested in the world's opinion of Jesus than placing their own faith in Jesus. 
They're saying you need to go so the world can see you. If you want people to know who you are, here's a good marketing strategy. His brothers were tempting him to do something in front of the world. And this is, a, folks, this is a mark of familiarity. They're curious. They're more curious about what the world thinks than they are about knowing Jesus Christ. And it seems as if they're almost maybe even embarrassed about Jesus. And, I mean, we know a couple of different times uh, in Mark 3, it says his friends thought he was out of his mind. In Matthew 12, it's almost like there's an intervention. They stage an intervention. They come to him and try to get him to put a stop to his controversial behavior. And, and, and so what we see is they have traded. Because they're so familiar with Jesus, they're not really all that excited about knowing him. But they are very interested in what the world thinks of him. They're not really all that excited about him anymore. But they do want him to be popular with the world. Uh, because his name, you know, they want it to be popular. It probably brings them notoriety. And here's an issue. The more familiar you become with Jesus, the more likely you are to get used to him and be fascinated with what the world is doing. See, the grass is always greener, isn't it? it sometimes we act as if the world has all the answers and we're the odd ones out. We get, we get so used to Jesus that the excitement is gone. And it's easy to want what we don't have. And, and this is a good point for teenagers because if they've grown up with Jesus. They've been in church their whole life. They've been raised by godly parents. Um, but they're kind of used to that. But they haven't tried the world yet. So they're used to God. They're used to that life. But they're looking over the fence and they're saying, hmm, I wonder what that would be like. This happens with young people, but it's not just young people. Uh, we do it too. We can get a, put a little bit too much stock in what the world thinks, and we're no longer very interested in knowing Jesus. But I want you to consider, though, who, who Jesus' brothers were so excited about pleasing and impressing. Six months after this, uh, we find out, we know that based on the, the timeline, that Jesus goes back to Jerusalem and these same people that they're trying to get him to impress put him on a cross. So here's the world. And Jesus' brothers are saying, hey, well, the world, you need to impress the world. You need the world to, to know your name. You need to do something impressive. Well, the same people they're trying to impress are the ones who crucified Jesus. So before you think, well, the world, they've got it all together. Understand their end isn't nearly as good as yours. And we, we kind of put too much stock. And it's easy to say, well, you know, what would it be like to live like the world and, and have a little extra spendable money instead of giving so much to missions? And what could I could do with the money that I would save? Or, you know, I, I, what would it be like to have a whole weekend where I'm not having to be committed to things at church? I mean, wouldn't that be great? We sometimes look over the fence and we get a little curious about what the world has to offer. That happens when you just, when you grow complacent toward Jesus. Right. You're too used to his presence in your life. And it's no longer exciting and you start to look for something else. But remember, these folks that they're trying to impress put Jesus on the cross. And it may seem though like they have it all together right now, but their ending is far worse. When familiarity becomes a hindrance, you get too comfortable with God and you get... Uh, you become too curious about the world. And number three, you become too complacent to make a difference. 
You become, you become too complacent to make a difference. Look at verse 7. He says, Jesus, and he, you know, they come and give him this suggestion. And he says this, the world cannot hate you, but me it hateth, because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. This is interesting. He says, the world can't hate you. And he said, well, what in the world is he saying about, what does that mean? What he's saying is, you're no different than the world. You're, not, you're at no risk to make a difference. You never tell the world what they're doing wrong. You never tell them what they need to hear. You're kind of trying to blend in. You're trying to fit in. You're not at risk to make a difference. He says, the world hates me because I tell them what they need to hear. I give them the truth. But you're sitting in a corner trying to please the world. And you're at no risk of making a difference. Jesus was hated because he called out the world's sins. But his brothers were at no risk of being hated because they were trying to blend in. And one effect of overfamiliarity is you grow complacent about things that are important. Some of, the, uh, some of us have lived for Christ for so long that we're no longer all that excited about it. Let's just be honest. Isn't it true? The church isn't the same. And reading our Bibles just isn't the same as it used to be. And, and you know, we don't, it's not all that exciting. We're kind of getting burned out of our of teaching or, and our ministries. And it just doesn't give us that excitement anymore. And we're complacent and we're so, we become, if you stay in that position, I'm not saying that we don't have seasons of ups and downs because we all do. But if you stay in the downward trend, you will eventually grow so complacent that you're no longer at risk for making a difference anymore. I remember when Olivia was little-er. Sorry. I remember I, when she was little, I was carrying her on my shoulders. And she was getting, you know, a little bit older. And I, so I was carrying her on my shoulders. And I walked to a door, and I did one of these numbers. And I was like, I don't want to hit her head on the door jam, you know. And my wife's like, what are you doing? I said, well, I don't want to hit her little head on the door jam. And she's like, you have nothing to worry about. <laughs> like, come on. You can at least pretend like I'm six foot. <laughs> I had nothing to worry about. I was at no risk of hitting her head. There was no risk at all. And, and listen, some of us are at no risk of making a difference at work because we're complacent about Christ. Amen. And some of us are at no risk... Of, of having an impact on our neighbors because we've grown complacent in Jesus Christ. You're right. And dads, some of us are at no risk of leaving a mark on our children because even at home we're complacent about Jesus Christ. If the longer you remain complacent, the less you are to make a difference. There's no risk um, to make a difference if you're, if you're no different. You must be different to make a difference. And, and sometimes we get so used to it, there's no excitement, there's no joy, there's no energy, there's nothing new, we're complacent, we really don't care all that much. And when you're in that position, Jesus says, the world can't hate you. You're at no risk of making a difference to the people around you because you are so used to Jesus. Too many of us grown, have grown complacent and we're at no risk of making a difference. Complacency has rendered some of us ineffective. Let's just be honest. It can happen. And I'm not saying it's the end of the world, um, but you don't want to stay there too long. Where are the young people impacting their generation for God? 
Uh, where are the employees talking to people about Jesus? Where are the young men surrendering to preach the gospel? Where are the Christians saying, I'll do whatever you want me to, God? Yeah. Where are God's people when it comes to the Great Commission? Listen, we had an awesome day at Saturation Saturday. I don't know how many we had out, but it was a blessing. And we passed out I mean, thousands, a couple thousand uh, door hangers. And, and it was exciting. I'm thankful for it. Um, but but is, that, is that because it was an event or because we have a heart for it? You know, a comfortable life will never make a difference for God. You must be willing to take a risk for Christ. He risked it all for you. Here's the problem with Jesus' brothers. They were familiar, but they didn't have faith. And the majority of us are familiar with Jesus. We know the Bible. We know, I mean, we know the Bible stories. We can answer the Bible questions. If there was a Bible quiz, we could answer them. We can sing the hymns by heart. We, but knowledge, familiarity doesn't equal faith. Yeah. See, head knowledge doesn't equal a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. And then like Jesus' brothers, listen, we're so familiar with Christ that we can start telling him what to do. We tell him, no, this is my plan. No, I don't want to let go of this. No, this is better. And I, you're calling the shots. We can become so familiar with Christ uh, that we're more curious about the world than we are him, knowing him, that we've, maybe we're so familiar with him that we stop taking risks. We're at no danger of making a difference. But I'm telling you tonight, familiar, familiarity never has and never will equal faith. Let's say you're, we've got, I look around the room, we've got some fans of the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, sorry. Maybe you're a big fan of the Vikings. So you're used to disappointment. Um, so the Vikings, <laughs> particularly, you're a fan of their quarterback. And their quarterback, I think, is Kirk Cousins. Is that correct? Is that right? Okay. So just because, though, you know a lot about Kirk Cousins doesn't mean you know the personal things about Kirk Cousins. Uh, and just because you know a lot about him, you may know his stats, but you probably don't know his favorite color. You probably don't know his favorite food. I was, man, that was, I was, that just came to me. His favorite letter is L. Oh, okay, I'm going to move on. <laughs> just kidding, that was mean. Man, I'm going to make some enemies tonight. No, you don't know if he has a relationship with God. I mean, you know a lot of those guys, they claim to be Christian and they have this public persona of being a Christian, but you don't really know what it, what it really is like for him on a personal level. Familiarity doesn't mean you know the most important things about somebody. Familiarity also doesn't mean that the person that you know about is familiar with you. See, if you tried to jump over the fence at Kirk Cousins' house and sneak into his living room and turn on the TV, how do you think that would go? Well, it wouldn't end up well because no matter how much you know about Kirk Cousins, he doesn't know you at all. And you might say, well, what does this have to do with Jesus? Well, in Matthew 7, Jesus said, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name cast out devils, and thy name done many wonderful works. But what does Jesus say about it? He says, depart from me. Why? Because I never knew you. See, knowing about Jesus doesn't mean you have a relationship with Jesus. 
And if you die, and I know it's the Sunday night crowd, but I've got to say it, if you die without knowing Christ, you will be separated eternally from Jesus Christ. And it's not worth it to know about God and not truly know God. Don't confuse familiarity with faith. And I'm afraid that too many of God's people that claim to be Christian know about Jesus without knowing Jesus. But Christianity is not inherited. Christianity is not genetic. You don't have it because your parents had it. You don't have it because it's something you grow into. No, you've either met him or you haven't. And it's not about experience either. See, just because you know the right words and just because you know the routine and just because you have the right look, it doesn't mean you know Jesus Christ. Familiarity, we, we, you know, the more experience we have, the more we can look the part, but that doesn't mean we know him. It doesn't mean that you spend your days walking with him. So what do we do then? What does Jesus tell us to do? We'll look at verse 6. Then Jesus said unto him, My time is not yet come, but your time is always ready. See, it's always the right time to exchange familiarity for faith. And it may be time to submit to Jesus Christ's claim as Savior. I don't know, in this room, uh, maybe you don't know the Lord. You know what Jesus says about that? You know, he doesn't say, hey, wait on it. Just wait it out. You know, he says, no, it's always time. Now's the perfect time. And if you don't know Jesus, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, he says, now's the time. Submit to his claim as Savior in your life. If you don't know him, right now is the time, he says. But maybe some of us need to submit to his claim as King. You've submitted to his claim as Savior. You've placed your faith in Jesus Christ. But you don't have a walk with God. You look the part. You know the routine. But there's no genuine relationship with God. Listen, you're familiar, but you don't have faith. And Jesus said, now's the time. Now's the time to walk with God. Now's the time to open God's word and get to know it. Now's the time to get serious about serving God. Now's the time to be all in with your church. Now's the time to get things right with people that you may, not have, that you may be at odds with. Listen, the greatest danger of familiarity is that it makes us think we've got plenty of time. But we miss our window. I mean, just think about this. I think Jesus' brothers learned this the hard way. They eventually, we know they eventually believed. They were, they were in that upper room in, in Acts 1. His brothers were there. I mean, we know that his brother James wrote the book of James. So obviously he believed. James, also his brother James became the pastor of that first church in Jerusalem. So we know that James was a believer. He had another brother whose name was Jude who wrote the second to the last book of the Bible. So obviously his brothers believed. But by all accounts his brothers did not believe till after he had died and been raised from the dead. So I just want you to think about that. For six months from this time in John 7 to the time that Jesus was crucified and rose from the dead for six months... By all accounts, it seemed that his brothers waited. They waited for real hard facts, real evidence, real proof. 
But I just wonder if they ever looked back on those last six months when Jesus says, now is the time. It's always time. You are ready right now to place your faith in me. I wonder if they look back and say, man, how much did we miss in those last six months? I mean, we could have been with our brother. We could have been standing next to him when he performed miracles. We could have been there to support and help him. We could have been even maybe in the day that he died, he was hanging on the cross. I don't know if his brothers were there or not, but if they were, they met, they, you know they had all kinds of regrets. Because they said, you know, I'll just wait a little bit longer. I'll just wait a little bit longer. And you say, well, the end of their story is good. But imagine all the things that they know they missed out on and they regretted later because they said, I'll just wait. Listen, right now is the time. Now is the time to exchange familiarity for faith. And and here's why. Because you don't want to get down to the end of it and say, man, I should have done this a long time ago. Think about all that I've missed. Think about the soul that God may have a divine appointment for you and them to come together at some point. But because you're waiting on faith, you miss an opportunity. What happens to that soul? I mean, think about the influence that you can have on some Christian who right now is on the verge of being a castaway and they just need somebody to encourage them. But because you're waiting on your faith, you don't have the opportunity because you miss your window. Think about, I mean, you think about dads and moms. If we're waiting on faith, I mean, and there's a window. Right now, we've got children at home. And listen, every day matters with them. And those of you who are empty nesters, you probably, you'd give anything maybe to go back and spend a little bit more time investing in their spiritual lives when they were young and you still had an opportunity. But eventually it's going to be too late. Dads, now's the time. Because your familiarity with Jesus is a hindrance to your children's faith. Moms, now's the time. You don't want to miss the window that you have. Listen, I just wonder how much we'll regret because we waited. And you know that his brothers had regrets. His siblings had regrets because they waited, because they weren't willing to submit. And I'm just asking you tonight, what are you waiting for? Stop putting off your faith. Stop waiting to submit because right now is the time. The only result of waiting is regret. And if the Holy Spirit right now is prompting you about something, don't wait. Exchange your familiarity for faith. For something real. Now's the time. So stop telling God what to do. And stop trying to fit in with the world. And don't miss your window to make a difference. Because now's the time. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. So don't wait on faith just because you're familiar with Jesus. Have you allowed your familiarity uh, to hinder your faith? You're so used to Jesus Christ in your life. It's like that thing that you put on your desk. And at first you noticed it every day. But after a while, you don't even think about it anymore. You take for granted that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died on a cross to redeem your life. Take you to heaven when you die and you've gotten used to Jesus Christ. Your familiarity is hindering your faith. Well, maybe it's time that we get a fresh glimpse of Jesus Christ. Just one time we finally see him for who he is once again. And that we stop waiting on our faith and say, no, now's the time.
Will you make tonight the time? Has familiarity been a hindrance to you? Listen, I don't want to get down to the end of it and have regrets because I've waited. I hope that you don't either. Will you, will you say tonight's the night? I've got some things I need to work on. I need to change. I want to exchange my familiarity for faith in Jesus Christ. Let's stand together. I encourage you tonight to, to do business with the Lord. And here's the danger. The longer that we're saved, the easier it, is, easier it becomes to become too familiar. And some of us have been saved for quite a while. We're very familiar. But that doesn't always equal faith. You know, I'd hate to get down to the end of it and realize that I lived my whole life and because I was familiar, I could fake it with people, but to find out that I couldn't fool God. And he knows that my faith wasn't real. I, I would hate to get down to the end of it and realize I missed my window. Let's not miss our window. Let's say now's the time, and I want to make some things right with the Lord tonight.